proceed. Finally recording the second episode. You know, I said something about doing this twice a month. Probably not going to happen. I'm just I'm just way too busy. Not to mention, if I did it twice a month, I think I'd really be forcing some episodes out. I really want to take my time with this. I've been um <clears throat> you know, going over, you know, what what was my second episode, what the topic was going to be, and you know, I really narrowed it down to a few and um so the the topic this week that I've chosen is is whether or not we've gone too far on the internet in terms of flashiness in terms of you know everything being instantaneous and the article that I'm basing this whole discussion off of comes from the Washington Post and it's entitled the counterintuitive giftastic plan to redeem the modern internet I read it a few months back uh, this would also be about the time I, I had just gotten a Kindle oh yeah joined everybody got a Kindle um, you know, just another device. Like, I need another freaking device. Really? But no, I mean, this is a serious discussion. There's a question that's going to come at the end of this, um, where this all is going to culminate into. Um, but the, again, the counterintuitive, giftastic plan to redeem the modern internet. Uh, and it's written by Caitlin Dewey, the Washington Post. Um, but basically, my thesis is the fact that I miss when the internet was simpler. If you turn, tuned into the last episode, if you know anything about me, I'm a 90s kid. I I was, you know, right there when it was 28K or whatever, a modem. And then a 50, 50 was it 52, 58? 52 modem, whatever, you know. My mom screaming down at me from upstairs, get off the, get off the internet, I need to make a phone call, or your Aunt Patty's trying to call you. You know, I'm from those days, and... It's just, I I've, I wonder has every has everything become too flashy? And I think it really has. Um, here's a quote from the article: Because publishing pages on Web 1.0 required some degree of internet savvy, not to mention a pretty expensive machine, the only people with profiles or pages were early adopters and corporations. Normals had forums and news groups, of course, but those weren't exactly the same thing. They definitely weren't as zany or expressive as the sites the nerds were making. Starry fan pages with side-scrolling welcome messages, tiled backgrounds competing with neon text, a virtual tsunami of under-construction gifs. And that is exactly what comes to mind when I think of these days. I think because I used to make websites and you would have your selections of backgrounds. And that's what I remember from these days. You know, poorly designed in terms of uh, aesthetics and 2D. Um, but there's something really special about that time frame. Let me tell you about my old rap website. I, I mentioned the story last last episode, the first episode, about Grandmaster Kaz and how he had emailed me. He, he thought it was kind of ridiculous, my, my top 10 rappers of all time list. Um but I'll tell you one thing about my website. I was getting a lot of hits on it. I was getting a lot of uh, people visiting. And I think what it was is that I was using a little trick. And I, I guess you could call this an SEO or an early form of tagging where I'd place keywords in the body of the website. 
And if the background was black, I'd just make the keywords, the, t- the text of the keywords black. So you wouldn't really see them unless you clicked on the website and were like scrolling onto that part in the body. But by doing that, I was generating, I, I swear, dozens if not hundreds of uh, hits a day. It was crazy. I would check my, de- my, my website every day and I was like, wow. You know? Um, and I think that was a GeoCities. There was a few others. There was a few other um, free website makers or hosts. There was a combination of them. I think there was a Lycos. There was GeoCities. There was a Tripod. And there was something else. It was like uh, Homestead. But there was a bunch back then. And the interesting thing about GeoCities was that your your web page, your web address was based off of street addresses. So you might be geocities.com slash locust street slash first avenue slash something so on and so on and so on, whatever it was. Um, and you would just see all kinds of different websites on there. All kinds of different special interests. And, and, and of course, everybody had their own message board on there. You had to leave a message on somebody's message board. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't Twitter. There wasn't Instagram. It was so much simpler. Um, and for people that love music, it was such a simpler time. Sandboxautomatic.com which, by the way, I checked. In preparation for this episode, I checked sandboxautomatic.com and it's still static. It is still static. In fact, they're brag- they're, they're proud of it. They mention about how their, their checkout, their, their shopping cart is the same as it's always been and that people love it. Another one was hiphopinfinity.com. I really like that. That was a good music website. These are, the, I guess, these will be alternatives. Undergroundhiphop.com. I've been going on on undergroundhiphop.com for years and supporting them. I don't support them all the time. I probably buy something from undergroundhiphop.com probably every few years, to be honest with you. Otherwise, I'm just going to a record label's website or you know Amazon or something like that, or buying you know hand to hand at a show. Um, but core and it even says on underground hip hop, hip hop infinity com closed down 2004. All right. But here's the quote from sandbox automatic, their about page sandbox also continues to be one of the most innovative and customer friendly businesses around the shopping cart system is considered one of the fastest and easiest to use. You will not see any annoying slow loading banner ads on any pages. They're not accepted here, end quote. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. I can't even go to a cooking website, a recipe website, without it taking forever because there's a thousand gigantic pictures like it's Pinterest, um, you know, trying to get my attention. There's a political website. and, And I guess you would, you would definitely call this political website far left. Um, it's called counterpunch.org. It was static up to a few years ago, or at least had the appearance of a static website. It was clean, white background, black text, which was probably Times New Roman or something similar. And 
and pretty much an endless front page length. Like you would just scroll down, it would keep going. It would have a margin with all the books that it was selling. Um, and guess what? The visited links changed colors. Now, I just realized something. We're getting into some 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 words that you might not even understand depending on your age. There's two kinds of websites nowadays, okay? Um, the one that we're used to, I don't even know what you would call it, but you know, it's based on widgets and things that are just updated. So if you update your page or you update a widget, then all you got to do is update that one section. So if you have a widget of a blog, like a section on your website, updating that, you don't have to reload or, or re-upload your entire page. You're basically just up, updating that that part, that section, which is a huge difference from what I guess we'll call Web 1.0 um, or static websites. Static is in they don't change unless the the webmaster, as we called them, um, you, me, if we made our own website on GeoCities or something like that, unless you uploaded it, you put it on your FTP server or you updated the, the homepage.html, you, you literally had to do that. I've even read books that talk about small town newspaper uh, websites where the guy... Um, that was running the website would have to input the same HTML every single day or every time that the the newspaper was updated on the website. You know, it wasn't just you know whoever does the New York Times now. You know, they're just dumping in articles just the same way somebody dumps in a new blog post on their WordPress website. Um, this guy would have to do everything from the top margin to the banners to the, the side notes, to you know, to all those links had to be input, re-input. And I'm sure he could cut and paste, copy and paste. But all that had to be redone. And I'm not saying I want to go back to that entirely. But I feel like something's been lost. I really do. All right, my closest friend still talks about uh, a website called Audio Galaxy. Audio Galaxy according to Wikipedia, was an internet music service with three incarnations. Okay? And, you know, I guess it was owned by Rhapsody. It was a promotional website for Rhapsody Music. Um, and it was a personal audio play-shifting service. Basically, the way my friend describes this thing was you would go on the website, you might have searched for somebody, and then you would just see uh, links Sort of like if you download, I don't know, almost like pirated software. If you had to download pirated software and it would give you a link to, uh, you know, where it can be downloaded. You were doing that for albums or, or EPs or whatever. It was peer-to-peer, -peer, okay? The original Audio Galaxy quote system was created in 1998 um, as an FTP site index called the Borg Search. So just like I was talking about FTP with uploading your your website or updating it, people were doing that with music. Okay, it quickly evolved into a robust peer-to-peer -peer system with client software, the Audio Galaxy Satellite, a web-based search engine, always-on searching for requested files, auto-resume and low system impact. It quickly gained 
ground among file shares, and abandoning Napster in 2001. Some observing the previous downfall of Napster via lawsuit were shocked at the design of Audio Galaxy, which is in some ways more centralized than Napster. It's kind of ironic. Audio Galaxy's stated mission was to facilitate sharing of music that was also notable for its strong community due to such features as chat-enabled groups and per-artist internet forums. So it sounds like you could you could find a underground hip hop group or like a rhyme sayers. You could create something like that and talk about those artists um, in that chat group. This strong community also facilitated a very broad reach of content across many genres, particularly those that tend to remain underdeveloped in more modern systems. End quote. Um, and then it says in you know it says in June two thousand eight, CNET hailed this incarnation of Audio Galaxy as one of the greatest defunct websites in history. Um, and here's my thing. Ironically, even the Washington Post article that this whole episode is based around is anything but static. You read in the article, um, which I definitely suggest you go and do, um, and there's an ad embedded in the body of the article and on the right column an Amazon ad, at least for me, that never leaves as you scroll down through the article. It never leaves, never goes away. So, you know, I've made websites. I've had my own artist website. I don't currently have it because I think I let it go and then somebody else took it and they've bought it now for two years and they're like from Japan. Uh, Musicbyproceed.com you can look it up. I don't know what they're doing. They're like selling clothes or something. I don't know what that has to do with Music by Proceed. Um, so I, I don't want to totally begrudge where we're at in terms of technology, in terms of the, the widget style of websites, because it's definitely it definitely makes things a lot easier. But I guess my question is, how has this affected indie music and indie artists? It's definitely brought some good good things. It definitely allows you to be a DIY musician. Um, but at the same time, if indie is supposed to be about setting yourself apart, how are we setting ourselves apart when we're all on the same social network? We're all expected to have to be reached on the same platforms then I think we just become more of the same. So how has this affected indie music and indie artists? There's no question, uh, as an indie artist, your sales can go up. You can get a personal connection with your fans and vice versa. Fans get a personal connection with their artists. But where has it left us? How can you really set yourself apart? What is it about your story as an indie artist that's going to be that interesting that's, that they're going to visit your Instagram <laughs> um, or your Twitter you know, or f follow you on Twitter um, and care about what you're saying more than anyone else? 
cyber-stalking, touch me in real space and time sometimes, please. Not just via screens and keys and quasi-quickies. Play in real space and time sometimes, children, please. Not just via modulated, replicated, simulated matrices. Read, sing, dance, go outside. Sometimes... I chat, I touch, I tune, I pod, I am right here. Hello, see me, hear me, feel me. Sometimes, please. I mean, really, feel me. My energy, my skin. My kiss, my heart, my guts, my insides, my slap on your face, if need be, to jar you out of this compucoma you slipped into. Snap out of it. Sometimes, please. Squeeze. Some genuine, unmachine-assisted living into your busy day. Retreat. Your thought process and sub-aerial conscience from the death grip of the mainframe unpixelate your brains. Sometimes, please. That's Ursula Rucker. Song is called "Feel Me." It's from the album called "She Said." It's six years old. I think it was only a download album, um, which is kind of ironic, given the the nature of that song, the the meaning of that song. Uh, but I, I I believe I remember her uh, argument was that it's just you know the physical copies weren't selling anymore, uh, at, le- at least in her sense, at least in her situation. But it's definitely a fitting song for this episode. We're talking about Web 1.0 and what we have now, which is Web 2.0, and the the gigantic difference between static websites and the widget-based websites, the WordPress-based websites that we have now, and just how everything is just vying for your attention. You've got these gigantic images slowing down, 
the speed of your internet, the speed of the processing in the, in your browser, uh, demanding that your computer be updated constantly. It just never freaking ends. Never ends. And I, you know, I tried to culminate this episode into this question of where has it left us as indie artists, as indie artists that, you know, witness the, what I like to call the, the indie revival era, when you saw labels like Priority and Relativity that had people like Organized Confusion and MOP and all these, these almost mainstream rappers um, on their labels when they sank and and shit just hit the fan for a little while and then suddenly you had these independent labels coming up with Rockus and Rhyme says Rhyme Sayers Entertainment and Def Jooks and everybody else in between, you know, Peanut Butter Wolf's label and you know, so on and so on and so on. And and these guys built I feel like those last artists, they built their fan base off of touring. And they've only been able to help it grow through through things like Twitter and and widget-based websites and forums and everything else. And, and YouTube, obviously. But an artist in my position, an artist with, frankly, not a legitimate fan base... You know, I consider it a legitimate fan base. You look at, you know, just to, if you want to put numbers out there, you've got to have a couple thousand people on a mailing list. You've got to have several thousand people following you on Facebook, probably tens of thousands of people following you on Twitter. You've got a legitimate fan base. For someone in my position, and the artists, there's so many, so many talented artists that are in the similar position. I question if all we're doing is really generating revenue for these gigantic corporations, whether we're generating revenue simply from the the minor hits that we might be getting, and obviously that, that results in some ad revenue for these companies, or generating revenue when we're, you know, looking around or, or observing, um, checking out the social network impact of all these artists that we're into, you know, you're going on your favorite artist account. I mean, are we, are we independent musicians that are just like surfs, musical surfs now? We've got our own plot of land. We, we stake it out. We've got our Reverb Nation page and our Twitter account and our YouTube. And we've got so many subscribers on YouTube. I mean, you know, we went from controlling these things, or at least the people that, that we're looking up to, we went from from that where they owned it. And that's what independent meant. That's what underground meant. Um, to the point where who's benefiting? We're not betting I don't I don't know that I'm benefiting from these social networks. I know a lot of corporations are benefiting. I know Facebook is making a ton of money. I, I just saw the numbers. All right. Facebook. You know, it's on the stock market now. It made a ton of money recently. And I'm sure it's making a ton of money off of these accounts, these musician, these musical accounts. 
So who's really benefiting? That's where I'm getting to the point of, do I really need to sign up for this other thing? Do I really need to? I want to close this episode out with a really funny video. And and I got to say, you know, the image on that Washington Post article, the image on that Washington Post article showed this guy. It was a GIF image of this guy just like just jumping in and, and talking about web surfing. Hey there, Kevin. What's going on? Oh, hey, Neil. The tech guy installed that new worldwide web thing in the computer today. I still can't figure it out. Worldwide what? Web. You know, like cyberspace. Don't you watch the news? Oh. You know, come to think of it, I have heard about the World Wide Web. Hey, you know, just a few minutes ago I ran into the tech guy. He told me to give you this. Hey, maybe that diskette will get us started on this computer. Oh, I sure hope so. Let's check it out. Aw, come on! man! (gasps) Whoa! What the... Yo, welcome to the World Wide Web. We're gonna take you through it, step by step. There's a thousand pages, but you can't load them unless you hook up your serial modem. After that, you just log online and... Web surfing time! They got everything you could ever want, from MIDI files to your favorite font. All you gotta do is download the file, then take a nap, cause it'll take a while. You can even chat with your online buds, doesn't matter if they crips or bloods. Everybody's friends, that's what I said, so let's kick it together on the World Wide Web. Build a homepage all about you, with counter, guestbook, and FAQ. There's electronic mail or email for short, send jokes, comics, or a book report. They got online games like you wouldn't believe, like checkers. They got hypertext, JPEGs, TXTs, subservient brides from overseas, news groups, web rings, mailing lists. If you can imagine it, it exists. The World Wide Web's gonna change the world, whether you're a boy or even a girl. There's more people on it every day. It's the mega-powered information superhighway. Yeah, those scratches were kind Hey, you know, it really has changed the world. Jared Goldie, man, from my neighborhood, if you're listening, which I doubt you are, I just want to say I really miss calling your house at 9.30 at night when we had our 56K modem and linking up multiplayer style so we could play Warcraft for a couple hours after we played basketball, man. That was the greatest back in the day when I was a teenager. That's the show, folks. Episode 2 is officially done. For Feel the Void, my name is Proceed. Check me out, surfacelevelrecords.com. Talk about an independent label. Talk to you later. Thank you so much. <laughs>